on this episode, JDM goes airborne in Georgia, Ford Performance wants you moving, and BMW wants you lazy? We introduce a new segment, Behind the Meme, this week with... Sammy! Sammy! You're wrecking the car! <laughs> you guys remember that one. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you're catching this podcast. And follow us on YouTube and Instagram for more content, both at 91octane. Let's start the show. Five, four, three, two, one, go. This thing is a freaking monster. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 91 Octane. I am John, and thank you for listening to us once again. This week, let's go right under the hood. To literally no one's surprise, another mistreated Altima is doing the viral rounds. Police video shows a car rocketing off a tow truck on a Georgia highway. I posted that this week. It's been going viral. Everyone and anyone is posting it. Um, and it literally looks like the dream that we've all had as a kid when we see these tow truck ramps down. We're like, oh, we could, we should take that jump. Uh, the intrusive thoughts won in this case. The driver actually got seriously hurt uh, when her car flew off a tow ramp um, on the freeway. It was, I mean, it's insane. It sounds insane. It looks insane. And it's such a good shot from the camera, too. The, the crash was actually caught on the police officer's body cam because they were at another accident at the time. So that truck on May 24th was there to tow another car that had been in a wreck previous to that. And there were a lot of emergency vehicles on out on scene. Nobody knows what the driver was doing, which is probably good that the driver hasn't offered that up because um, they would probably get into more trouble. But yeah, it's uh, they literally traveled 120 feet on that jump. That is a crazy jump. Got airborne, got upside down before rolling over on the road. Um, and that's when you see the police officer running after the car just to see how the driver is. Um, originally, the, the original reports had been that no one got seriously hurt on that accident. Um, that was the original report. But as follow-up, follow-ups came out it was clear that the driver was hurt looks like there were no other major injuries caused by this airborne altima to no one's surprise it was an altima uh driven by a 20 year old from from florida so they were she was from tallahassee um actually and i don't know what she was doing in georgia but she decided to get airborne in Georgia, it seems. Uh, but looks like Florida man, in this case, Florida woman, strikes again. Um, yeah, uh, I'm glad someone else did it because I'm not going to do it. Not that I ever would do it. You know, there are intrusive thoughts that you shouldn't let win. Um, I think in this case, I mean, it's kind of hard. If we really break it down, right, there are multiple points of failure here. One why is the truck waiting on the fast lane of a highway uh, to tow a vehicle, right? If I would expect maybe that the road is closed, but it looks like there are other cars traveling through the area at that point. So it's I don't think they've closed the road yet. So that's that's strike one, right? You should at least close the road. Or if you want to keep traffic open, you should have the truck 
in the center of the highway where all the other emergency vehicles on. In the most recent article, it says that the emergency lights were on, but honestly, in the video, you can't really tell. I thought originally that they didn't have emergency lights on. Uh, but who knows? Who knows what the truth is? On the video, you can't really see any lights. At least I don't see any lights, but the claim now is that the emergency lights were on. But it wouldn't take much, right? I mean, if you have your head down and you're like on your phone or something and then you look up uh, and there's a ramp there, there's not going to be much you can do. I don't think they hit the brakes at all, judging from the video. They hit that ramp as hard as it could and went full Travis Pastrana through the air um, and landed on the highway. It's crazy that the driver wasn't more seriously hurt. Um, I guess from the reports is everything. I mean, there's some serious injuries, but they're going to be fine. Um, cause at that, I don't know at that height, I mean, you're clearing a full, like big rig and then traveling an extra hundred feet. That's insane. Insane. But, uh, I guess it made for the interesting viral rounds. Cause you guys all like these crashes. Uh, that's becoming more and more obvious on social media lately. But anyway, let's get into our next headline. Cars are now vehicles of identity theft. That's right. So, uh, Toyota motor corporation recently announced a data leakage, um, involving customer information due to a mistake in their cloud in their cloud system. So obviously there were some security errors. Either someone didn't do something or something was missing, and there was a breach. Much like we've been hearing for the last twenty years, right? Uh, it's not like we haven't been warned about these things, but we keep pushing the line in terms of where technology needs to be. And now Toyota is facing the consequences. They did conduct their own investigation and found that some customer data may have been accessible externally. Um, I think this is pretty much a for sure thing. If they're saying may have been, um, they're probably trying to play it safe, but they wouldn't include this statement. I doubt they would include this statement unless there was some actual risk. Um, but they do mention that they have taken steps to monitor cloud settings and enforce data handling rules more strictly. This is very boilerplate for any time that this happens. Um, they're going to say something like that. Uh, there's really very little detail as to what they're actually doing to provide safeguards. I would have liked to see that detail, but maybe they want to keep that internal. And they also apologize for any inconvenience they have caused. Another boilerplate statement but at least they're taking the steps forward and letting the public know that something is up now the the investigation did not find evidence of secondary use or copies of that data on the internet that is not to say that they don't exist and it just says the internet it doesn't really say dark web right or i don't know how deep that search is but according to their investigation, they didn't find anything, which is good. But that sometimes that takes a while to turn up. And the affected customers are those who subscribe to certain navigation systems and map updates. Luckily, I have never done map updates on any of my cars. I think when you have it on your phone, what's the point of doing a map update? Other than just staying up to date, I guess. I don't know. But I've never done it. But those are the people that were affected. And the uh, dates in which... Uh, the affected fall under is February 9th, 2015 to March 31st, 2022. That is a huge collection of data. Think about like 
how your email inbox is from day to day. Not even your work one, just like your uh, whatever email you use to throw away, right? The one that you use to sign up for like rewards programs at stores. Think about how much information is being collected there. And that's just you, a single person. They've got seven years of that being collected and now being shown to potentially malicious actors. We don't know for sure. Um, it could be a, a white hat hacker that just wants to let them know that, hey, you got security issues, you better fix them. But it also could be someone malicious trying to uh, collect information. Now, the leaked information includes in-vehicle device IDs, the map data updates themselves, but apparently does not include vehicle location or credit card information which I would be more concerned with the vehicle location stuff because um, obviously if they want to steal the cars, they know where to target them now. But the credit card, I mean, it's pretty easy to fix in terms of a stolen credit card. The total count is about 260,000 people that were impacted, so it is a pretty high volume. I think with this on, within those 260,000, you can find some identities to steal and benefit from um, if you're one of the bad guys and Toyota plans to contact all the affected customers and set up a call center to address their concerns you know cool I mean you can you can call in and you know hopefully addressing the concerns means actually doing something about it like if someone does get their identity stolen that they're taking care of that uh, but who knows it doesn't really go into that level of detail um, now, also involved are dealer, de dealer data in Asia that includes addresses, names, phone numbers, email addresses, and bins. They do say this is limited to Asia currently, um, but it does contradict their statement earlier a bit that, you know, the customer information um, hasn't made it outside of their infrastructure, at least into the Internet. Um because if they're calling out that it involves this personal data, then there might be an issue. I mean, with this, it's enough to target these cars. But it looks like Asia is the only one affected currently. At least that's what Toyota is claiming. And Toyota will handle the situation in accordance with the personal information protection laws of each country. And this is, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. This is why we need regulation when it comes to our data um, on the internet. I mean, the first reason is that now we're having cars, cars connected to the cloud. They have to be connected to the internet for some reason. I mean, we need that level of convenience. Um, I get that there's always a next step and maybe we've exhausted all the normal steps and so now we're getting into this, into this ridiculous space and more on that on, our, on the couple next headlines coming up. But... Um, the second being that, you know, regulation prevents us from not knowing that this stuff is happening. Because if there is, if there wasn't any regulation on our personal data already, um, what Toyota is saying here is that they will handle the situation. They will commit to anything that is outlined in the laws, right? If the laws say they need to take care of any issues that happen and pay for this and pay for that, then that's what they'll do. But if it doesn't say that, then they're just going to say, oh, sorry for what happened. Um, we'll try to do better. And, you know, if it happens again, we'll let you know again rather than doing something about it. So I, I think that's, you know, reg having regulation for this stuff is very important 
But more so, I just I don't understand why this stuff needs to be in cars. I get the convenience, but it's also, I feel like it's problems we don't even know we have. We were sort of fine, you know, working our analog cars and opening our own doors and uh, not having to talk to our cars, um, you know, offline maps. Like I said, we have our phones, so we don't need our cars to be connected to. But I don't know. Maybe because I haven't really enjoyed a lot of that world, I don't understand. And maybe people who do and like their phones connected to an app on their cell phone, I don't know. Maybe. But for now, I don't get it. So let's move into our next headline. Ford performance continues to convince me to buy things that I don't need. They're quickly jumping on my list of brands to buy something from. Uh, I do like the new Chevy Colorado, so I, right now I'm in the Chevy camp. Um, but the Dark Horse is kind of interesting, even the na- the name is kind of ridiculous. Um, and now this. Ford Performance has introduced two new supercharger packages called the FP700 Bronze Edition and the Black Edition for the Ford F-150. Um, so they seem to continue to push the envelope in terms of, uh, OEM horsepower, mainstream horsepower. Uh, I don't know what to call it, but a 700 horsepower truck. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because you can, because we can in this day and age, engineering has progressed so much and so fast over the last 50 years, 25 years, 10 years, that we are now able to get a 700-horsepower vehicle from a major automotive manufacturer manufacturer legally. None, uh, no hoops to jump through, no forums to look up, no puzzle to figure out. Just here's my money. Here's your ridicu- ridiculously fast car. Now, the packages are available for certain F-150 models from 2021 to 2023, so it isn't a giant uh, window of F-150s that this fits. It is for the newer vehicles, uh, but that's still cool. They add a 3-liter Whipple supercharger to the 5-liter V8, boosting the power to 700 horsepower and 590 pound-feet of torque. That sounds like a very, very fun truck. Of course, it's heavy, but at 700 horsepower, you're moving heavy for sure. Now, the package does come with rear lowering springs, fender vents, carpeted mats, a black painted grill, and body side graphics. So some random stickers here and there. The bronze edition includes bronze accents and 22-inch sinister bronze wheels. I don't even know what, how do you, you know, sinister for a color. What does that even mean? Um, and then the black edition features black wheels, front fascia elements, and some dark graphics as well. So it looks like there's very little variance between between the two, other than some stickers and some different color wheels and some sinister sinister stuff. But that's pretty cool. Now the package is compatible with rear and foil four wheel drive versions of the car. And for all you California people, it 100% is carb certified so you can smog this supercharger which honestly i feel like is becoming more and more rare for those of you who don't know and for those of you who aren't from california um 
in order for us to use a lot of the turbochargers and superchargers that are sold across the nation, the manufacturer of that supercharger has to have had it certified by the Bar Association here in California. And that's what it means to be CARB certified. You get a little sticker that says, uh, this is the uh, CARB serial number, that which verifies that this device that you're putting on your car is CARB approved and therefore can pass smog as long as all emission standards and outputs are maintained. Because of how, expect, how expensive it is to get certified, most companies don't do it. I mean, especially if it's for one state, you have a whole other 49 states to consume and really the rest of the world to consume these products and not have to have CARB certification. Why spend more to tap into the California market? Well, our OEMs are doing this for us. It makes more sense for them. They're already going through the process of verifying um, you know, these cars and certifying them for each state. So they'll probably just throw this into the mix and certify both at the same time. It probably still costs more. I'm not saying it doesn't cost more for them, but it's sort of like a package deal, right? It's like buying in bulk. It's sort of the Costco of the carb process is what I would assume. Now, uh, the package also includes a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty. So that's pretty cool for a supercharged motor. That means, one, they're saying we guarantee that this will last for three years, and two, if it doesn't, we will replace it free of charge, which is great. Um, the package costs. I mean, guess, if you had to guess, I'm going to give you a moment. If you had to guess, how much do you think this package would cost? I kind of wish I would have been able to ask myself this question before I, uh, I saw this information. Um, cause now I feel like it's a little unfair now that I know what the price is, but I'm still surprised. So I'm wondering what you actually thought of and go hit us up on Instagram whenever I post about this and let me know. But what it costs is $12,350 and customers can order them from the Ford Performance Store or local Ford dealers. One thing to keep in mind here is that it does not include installation costs. So it's $12,000 just for the parts, which sort of makes sense. For a supercharger, I think. And I mean, it even comes with all those other things I listed. You know, wheels, um, stickers, <laughs> and lowering springs, some fender vents. Um, so, I mean, the supercharger almost lands like around 8000 maybe $7,000, which is pretty good. I'd say that's right in line with most supercharge kits. But it doesn't, it doesn't include installation. And my initial thought was, well, cool, I'll just install it myself. You know, like 12000 is a fair price, and I'll just install it myself. But what I know, and I haven't verified this, but I'm like 99% sure that this is the case. If you install it yourself, they probably don't include the warranty. Most of the time, there is a condition on the warranty that in order for it to be valid, it would have to have been installed by a certified Ford technician. Um, I don't, those probably exist outside of, um, just for dealerships, 
but it doesn't mean that you can install it yourself. I guess unless you are a Ford certified technician, in which case you lucked out. You're one of the rare few um, that would probably get away with it. Uh, but even then, maybe you'd have to do it at the Ford dealer. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what paperwork you would need. But that's just sort of a bummer. So if you're willing to chance it on the warranty, you can install it yourself. If not, there's probably going to be some significant cost uh, to this package because at twelve thousand dollars supercharger, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't even know how many hours of work this is, but I imagine you're probably going to pay another, you know, five grand or so to get all this stuff installed if you're not doing it yourself. I mean, I think it would only be the supercharger because. That's the only thing I want warrantied. I think lowering springs, fender vents, all the other stuff they're including, I will install myself. But it'll be just the installation of the supercharger, which still I'm thinking is going to be like $5,000. Um, and that's probably on the lower end. I guess it's an American car, so it, it could be lower than that. I'm probably thinking BMW prices at this point. But I still think it's pretty cool that Ford is giving us ways to get into trouble with horsepower. Um, I love to see it. Definitely, definitely love to see it. Now, the new Colorados came out and they look pretty nice. Um, I don't know. I don't need a 700 horsepower truck. I definitely don't need a 700 horsepower truck. That'd be a waste and just to tow the shit box to the track. Um, I don't know, but it'd be nice. It definitely would be nice. I'd probably get a dark horse before I jumped into a seven horsepower, seven horsepower bronze edition F-150. But, I don't know, it's not that low on the list. I would say it's not that low. Now let's move into our last headline. And now a solution for a problem you didn't know you had. Opening your own doors has become too much of a problem. Yes, that's right. You should not have to open your own door. You know, it should be either someone's opening it for you or it's opening itself or you're teleporting through the door, but you should never touch that door, according to BMW. So BMW showed a clever system in which there are now automatic doors on the 2023 7 Series. This includes the i7, the electric one. And they include special automatic doors with motors in them, and they can be controlled in various ways, such as like touchscreens or pressing a button or using your smartphone app, or you can even give it voice commands or using the iDrive system. Um, but the point is that you can do everything but actually touch the door to open the door, which, again, this is not a problem that we have. We don't need to solve that. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just adding more moving parts to the car. Like a door that moves itself is a door that's going to be difficult to fix, right? It's just another problem to break. We already have problems with BMWs and the motors on the windows, on the doors, which are the windows, not working. This, I see the same thing happening to these cars. Granted, I don't know how long really they're meant to last, right? I don't think the average owner of a 7 Series is keeping it for life. Um, so maybe that's what they're kind of going off of here. Now the doors have sensors that can detect objects up outside of the window frame and one meter away, one meter away from the car. Uh, if another car is nearby, the door will only open partially to allow space for the other car's door. So it's a little smart. It's, you know, it knows not to open wide or just have one method of opening it'll opening it'll open enough to know 
where where sitting it will clear the other owner's door if there's another car next to you if they open their door it's not going to make contact with your door at least that is the claim now sensors may not recognize small objects uh, or or other car doors from certain angles so there are some blind spots to the system that could lead it to fail, but it looks like it was good enough to include in their new cars, which means they figured out most of the issues, at least I would hope. BMW does advise users to use caution uh, and put their hand on the door to stop it if it's going to hit something. Like It literally says, put your hand on the door and stop it um, because it's going to hit something. So I think no matter what, you're always going to have to be on alert looking at the door or being in a wide open space if you're going to use this feature, which means that you're not going to use this feature. That's what that means. Because if, if I have to go through all this, right, I have to park and then I have to look at what's next to me. And then as a door's opening, look that it's not hitting anything so I can put my hand on it and stop it. That's not trouble I want to go through. I want to just close my door with my hand and I'm fine like I've done for the last million years, right? The whole existence of vehicles, it's never been a problem. No one has ever said, you know what? I hate that I have to open and close my own door. I mean, maybe it said in the context of some super affluent dude that all of a sudden, you know, goes broke and has to figure out how to drive on his own rather than have his driver, Alfred, take him around. I don't know. But other than that, it's not a problem we need to solve. But BMW seems to think that it is a problem we need to solve. And to add more luxury into their 7 Series, they want to make it so you don't have to touch your door. Pretty cool that we're using technology in these ways. But I would have expected this to be more of a science project than a mainstream vehicle tool. But, I mean, it's cool, I guess. It's probably an option and probably doesn't come with all cars. That way they can sell them a little cheaper. But it's pretty crazy that we've made it to this point now where we need automatic doors. I wonder who will be the first to do the automatic Lamborghini doors. I mean, it would have to be Lamborghini, I, I, I'd imagine. Unless some aftermarket guy comes out, which is likely. But those are your headlines. Now we're going to get into our newest segment, Behind the Meme. And this week, we are covering... Sammy! Sammy! You are wrecking the car! Oh, shut up! Sammy, what are you doing, my friend? Shut up! Don't tell me how to drive. Samir! Samir and Vivek, his aggressive co-driver. We've all heard it. and went viral and goes viral like every other two years. It'll pop up on everyone's feeds. Um, it started on Facebook and caught like wildfire... 10 years ago it's been 10 years since this uh meme was flying at light speed through the internet i mean we all got a kick out of it we all enjoyed it we all thought it was funny and that was it i didn't really think more of it than that but it turns out that behind the scenes there was a lot more going on the foot the footage was actually strategically edited. It wasn't just by chance that they were doing this. There was some intention there. And Samir isn't a rookie. He had over a decade of experience at this point. The shocking part about this all is that this video that caught like wildfire went all over the world and we still look at and smile 
was actually made by a rival driver. This is where the drama begins. But let's start with Samir. Samir is actually of the Tapar textile family empire. This guy has money. He's the chairman and managing director of JCT Limited, which is a textile company. It's a conglomerate that has a, other, a lot of other companies as well. But, I mean, this guy comes from a lot of cash, and it is family money. So you know they've accumulated a lot. So as a result, he started with a mega budget. And when he started back in the 90s, I mean, he started with a full racing team. He started with the most expensive builds he could at the time. He sort of was a blank check for himself in terms of his racing. He, ban he began his career at the Indian Rally Championship in 1992. And this is over 20 years before the viral clip happened in 2013. So... He had been driving for some time, and it's easy to think from looking at that that maybe he doesn't have a lot of experience, but he definitely did. And he was on podiums throughout the 90s as well, his first one being at the Karnataka 1000 in the Suzuki Esteem. So not only was he progressing as a driver, he was actually winning in some cases and achieving podium finishes, which is great. Now, in the early 2000s, he did take a break due to the ATV accident that sort of left his driving career in question. Um, I guess his thirst for adrenaline got to him then, and so he retired. And it wasn't until over 10 years later he returned to rally in 2013 in the rally of Combator. Now, this is the rally that we all know and have seen in that viral video. The Mitsubishi Evo 10 he bought was under his team, the JCT rallying team. Of course, a self-funded team. He was coming back. And now enter Vivek Ponosami. Now this guy, he is a well-known co-driver uh, co in the Indian scene. He has 16 years of experience. And Samir contracted him to be a co-driver for him in the IRC. And so he was coming from wins in 2011 off the Malaysian Rally. He won in 2012 at the Asia-Pacific Asia Rally Championship. This guy, uh, he knew what he was doing. He definitely knew what he was doing. Now, in this rally, Samir and Vivek are actually doing really well. The first stage, second stage, and third stage all go really well. Everything is clicking. It looks like they're getting along. Like it's, It seems like this driver-co-driver uh, -driver relationship is going to work. That is until they get to the fourth stage. The fourth stage became a Pokemon battle. It was frustration and confusion back and forth uh, that we see in this video. And let, it led to a complete break in communication. Um, it, the, the, this issue was only really, uh, how should I say expanded right it only became a big issue because of this video i think you know they were doing really well you know first second and third stages and out of context you would think that the video that came out is enough to say wow the whole race was probably that way which is probably was mo what most people thought and the car actually ended up retired due to issues so the you're breaking the car samir had some validity to it because the car didn't make it to the end of that rally now the video that was actually uploaded by samir and vivek was 40 minutes long they would upload to youtube 
their rally onboard footage the day after the race. And this is a common thing to do, something that they always did. By itself, it was just another onboard camera in a cool car, right? Uh, you know, we all do it. We Everyone who's at the track does it, and we post our videos. Um, it's something we love to do. And there's some funny lies sprinkled here and there, but across 40 minutes, it's not a significant enough portion of the driving to make an assessment that the driving was poor. But... That gave someone the idea to cut this 40-minute video down to only include the one-liners where they are frustrated with each other in that video. And they gave it to the world through Facebook, and it caught absolute fire. It went to millions overnight, eventually hitting 7 million in terms of people who've seen it. News outlets are now picking it up and reporting on it. The automotive journalism uh, world picks it up first. It start hitting. It starts hitting main news outlets. I mean, it's a it's a very relatable video in a lot of ways. Even if you don't race, right? Co-drivers and backseat drivers. Those are the people that this would uh, kind of sort of make an impression on, right? It did make an impression on me in the same regard. But the video had some interesting aftermath. Uh, the only two people who weren't enjoying that video, Samir and Vivek, which I honestly wouldn't think. Like, if it was me, like, I understand that in the heat of the moment, right, there's, there might be breaks in communication, you get frustrated with each other, you say a few things, but for the most part, they kept it fairly civil considering the stressful circumstance they're in, right? I mean, they're driving in the dirt, sliding around, adrenaline's going to be pumping anyway, so you would expect communication to get to that level at some point or another. Now, in most professional rally situations, you do see very calm co-drivers. They're very monotonous in their delivery of the uh, the instructions, and it sort of adds sort of the calmness of the cockpit that you sort of need as a rally driver. But it happens, right? I'm sure things get hectic and you start yelling at each other. So I didn't really think of it as more than that. But when you cut up the video, it really makes them look like careless rookies, right? That they don't really know what they're doing. Um, they're incompetent is some words that popped up. Um, you know, their good reputation up to this point, which it was a pretty, pretty good resume for each of them was now tarnished because of this viral video. And although I didn't think it was that big of a deal, I guess we have to understand that it is a different culture. I mean, maybe culturally it's different in India, um, and therefore this isn't as, as accepted. I thought it would have just been funny. I mean, like in F1, we see drivers arguing with their crew chiefs um, you know, over the mic, and it's never really that big of a deal or hurting reputations, really, other than maybe, like, some small PR stuff, which really ultimately always bowls over. But in this case, it kind of stuck. And Samir would be fine because he's rich, right? He comes from family money. He's uh has his own large conglomerate. That guy's going to be fine. Vivek, not so much because he relied on Rally to make a living. This was his life. This was his world. But he was labeled, like I said, incompetent. He was labeled to have a short fuse, that he lacked respect as a co-driver, and he actually started losing opportunities after this. He lost he lost contracts to rally in Australia, 
I mean, this guy was making big moves in terms of his next step in rally, and now it was sort of frozen by this viral video. So Vivek felt he had to do something, right? Now his livelihood's at stake, his passion is at stake. I need to figure this out. So he reached out to the authorities and reported that the video had caused significant defamation and uh, was it went against Section 66A of the IT Amendment, which can punish someone for making fun of another person on the Internet. That's wild to me that this exists. I think in this case, I, I can see why he would be justified in doing so. But to have a law that you that allows you to punish someone for making fun of someone on the Internet, like everyone would be in prison in one way or another. Right. Like because this includes like a text. Right. Or an email like you email somebody. It feels defamatory to that person. They can report you and you can go to trial, be charged and get put to jail. This is a risky law. But I think in this case, if he wants to try to get his life back, I don't know. I feel like there should be easier ways. But again, I don't know the situation in India and, and why it has taken such a turn. So this leads to an investigation and lo uh, local authorities start investigating the issue, putting some attention to the issue. And what they find is that the video was made and posted by a man of the name of Johan Setna. And this guy, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. This guy, this guy is the team manager of a rival team. That is extreme, man. That is so extreme. So this implies that this was a deliberate attempt to cause harm to Samir and Vivek at the very least, ruin the reputation, right? There is some evidence to indicate that. It could be that Johan is just a meme lord, and this is what he likes to do, and he saw the opportunity. Honestly, I still don't think it's that big of a deal. I thought, it, I, I honestly would, I'd be flattered if someone cut footage of me like that and ended up being funny, right? Like, that's, I, I think that's pretty cool. Um, but, it didn't really work out that way. So now we're looking at someone who is trying to cause harm and clearly has a way to benefit from it, right? Having a rival race team. But, man, way to take it outside of the track. I mean, he went way outside of the track to, to get him, man. Like, I'm going to hurt your reputations and therefore, you know, ruin your racing uh uh, opportunities and get my victories that way that's intense man that's wanting to win on a whole different level this is beyond black mamba level for for sure so the proof was that in the original video um when it was posted there were no negative comments on that video there was no real recognition of anything out of the ordinary but the edited version removed all that context so it made it look like they were incompetent that's essentially what they used as proof of the defamation so the police found him they arrested him he confessed to doing the whole thing um in terms of the actual confession i couldn't get my hands on that but um i don't know if it includes 
you know, why he did it. Uh, maybe it's just that he did it. Uh, it'd be nice to know why he did it, although it's pretty obvious why he did it. Um, but he was charged and then released the next day. So apparently <laughs> that's it. Like he just he went to jail and then he was released the next day because in the end, like I said, although it was against the existing law, law enforcement thought it wasn't really that big of a deal. Although it was defamatory, it wasn't it was just a joke. It's a parody. It was funny. It wasn't really that bad. So they let him go. I mean, I think if I was Vivek, I'd be furious in this case. But what is he going to do? Um, so this is where this concluded. It really didn't go beyond that. But it's crazy that this uh, meme that has been around for the last decade uh, was actually caused by the underbelly of the Indian Rally Championship. That's crazy. And, you know, Samir continued to race until 2016 because rich, you know, he's rich. So he's going to do what he does. He doesn't need the support of anyone else. He has the the money, the money to fully fund his whole program and some and be eating lobster every day at the track. So that's what he did. Um, Vivek was able to get back on the Australian ro- roster and revived his co-driving career until he retired in 2017. He actually runs Mentor Tires in India, which specializes in racing compounds. So he did pretty well for himself uh, after all. Looks like time healed the wounds in this case. But it is crazy that what seemed to be a lighthearted, hilarious meme turned out to be so so sinister thank you for that word ford thank you for that word but it was so so sinister like i mean you know you don't we don't know right we can assume either side it could be that this guy is a meme lord and he was just having fun and he was just trolling in jest and it wasn't that big of a deal or it could be that this guy thought this is my way at getting at the rich guy who just jumped in here and is putting down super fast cars and He's the noob, and I don't like him, whatever. This is the club for the experts, whatever it may be, and thought he could throw them off their game that way. I don't know. I guess it's up to you to decide. I don't know where I land on that yet. But, I mean, it's interesting to think about that, like I said, there is a mafioso element to Indian Rally. But I think in most motorsports in some way in their history, there is some story just like this where someone is trying too aggressively, just way, way too aggressively to win. And that is our episode. You can find us at 91octane.com. That is all letters, no numbers. Also, like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 91octane. And if you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. All your merch, 91 Octane merch is available at 91octane.com slash shop. Go ahead and check it out. Hit me up on the DMs if you want a discount code. I'll be happy to send you one. Um, Other than that, thank you so much for all the support and everyone jumping on board in the last two months or so um, because it's pretty, pretty cool to see and engage with you all in the DMs. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and let's keep this going.
Good night. Medium left. Medium left. Medium left. Listen to my calls. Medium left into sharp left. You're not concentrating, Sammy. You're watching out and driving.